The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movie and TV Shows. I'm Tom Sanjuro, you're listening to The Secrets of Dune, where we're going to discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of the 1984 David Lynch surrealist sci-fi um, classic. <laughs> uh, joining me on the panel here today are uh, Jack Berezini. Uh, hi, Jack. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Jack is with me on the Secrets of Tech podcast, so I'm excited to have him here in a different capacity doing The Secrets of Movie and TV. And also joining me tonight is Andrew Hermes. Hi, Andrew. What's up, Thomas? This is a little, it's going to be a little different than our Star Wars podcast, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Andrew's joining me from our Secrets of Star Wars podcast, which are both other podcasts with the StarQuest Podcast Network. Uh, go check them out and definitely recommend them. We get into a lot of really cool discussions. But tonight we're going to be focusing on uh, the Secrets of Dune. And we're planning now on this being the first in a series of discussions about the the world of Frank Herbert's Dune and the various representations it's had uh, leading up to the now sadly delayed until October 2021 uh, Dennis Villeneuve treatment of the tale. Yeah, so. It was my light at the end of, of the tunnel for this year. And I know, now right? It's taken from me. <laughs> yeah. It was supposed to be the really good thing. It's hap It was happening in December. You know, I was super looking forward to it. And now we're waiting until next year. Um, I was surprised that they delayed it all the way until October. That was... Uh, very yeah, interesting. I think that's to do with like all the other movies that they're having to slot in. So they're pushing back like James Bond, and I think Wonder Woman's getting delayed now too. So they just got to find a spot for it. I guess. Yeah, it's not. It's not so much. Um, yeah, it's not so much production schedules being delayed. It's just with movie theaters not open on a wide scale. It's you know studios are just afraid to release these uh, big blockbuster movies. I just hope that there's actually going to be movie theaters left when they decide to open them because right. You know, We've got a few closing now, and it's kind of like, uh, yeah, <laughs> if you just guys keep delaying stuff, nobody's <laughs> going to go to the movie theaters. They're not going to be there when you want to release the movies. Disney so able we'll to see buy how it goes. <laughs> Pretty much. Exactly. There you go. Just uh, <laughs> Disney hubs. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> uh, so uh, tonight we're going to be starting with the 1984 movie because uh, for many people, this is like the only exposure they've had to the story of Dune. Um, I know that a lot of people you know, saw the movie in 1984, have seen it since, and uh, they talked to me about I talk to them about Dune normally because I'm a complete fanatic uh, and they are like, oh, you mean that movie with the guy that floated around? <laughs> it's, it's like, no, man, come on. There's so much more to it than that. So um, I, I'd like to start kind of there in that spot of talking about, you know, an introduction where, where our introduction to the world of Arrakis is. And um, I think, Andrew, you're on that boat of having not read the book, but seen the movie, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I guess I'll have. Uh, interesting perspective since I haven't read the book and, but it's a property I've always been fascinated with. You know, I have a copy of the book that I've probably had for I don't know, 15, 20 years. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll probably read it one day. Um, but just <laughs> never got around to it. Part of it being just, um, maybe a little intimidated by, you know, the reputation it holds being dense, you know, I mean, I like dense yeah. sci-fi in my movies, not so much in, in my reading material. So, um, and another part of it is this, um, 
I don't know, just forgetting that it exists. But, you know, every once in a while, the, this property comes back into the pantheon of pop culture. And obviously now with Denny Villeneuve's movie, um, it's it's brought back to relevance. But but yeah, um, the 1984 movie was my first introduction to this property, um, as you said, awesome. like for a lot of people and maybe not the best. <laughs> for, for most people, you know, <laughs> well, it's, and that's I'm, I'm interested, you know, because we're all kind of young. So I'm interested in when you saw it. Like, do you remember when you first saw it? Yeah, I was uh, I was in college, um, you know, in the throes of film school and, you know, just where I watched a lot of weird stuff. Um, but I was a big David Lynch fan <laughs> uh, to begin with. Um, not a fan of all his work. I mean, he is a weird filmmaker. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and this was definitely a stretch. Yeah, yeah we will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a stretch for David Lynch. But at the mm -hmm. time, he was a hot director. I mean, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. we'll talk about him being considered for Return of the Jedi. But, uh, mm -hmm. the, you know, being a fan of his work, I'm like, I have to see this movie. I know this was not one of his favorite things to work on. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I had to watch it because of that. And I do, I mean... Well, I know we'll get into it, but I do appreciate the weirdness. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think it, it, you kind of have to. If, if you're going to like this movie, that's you're going to like it for that, not in spite right. of it. <laughs> uh, so how about you, Jack? When did you see this one? I actually watched this one for the first time um, a couple of years ago. I specifically put off watching the movie until I'd read the book. So I read the book and then I watched the movie with the book fresh in my mind. Oh, nice. And... I I kind of have to view the movies in, in two ways because as an adaption of the book, I don't think it succeeds, but as a weird 80s movie, I kind of like it because like, yeah. I love like schlocky <laughs> with weird B movies. So this is right <laughs> up my alley of just like a studio funded this and they let them put this out. And I feel like you don't get that anymore. So I appreciate yeah. it on that level. Yeah, that's that was so I'm a I picked the book up when I was 15 years old. So I was the age of Paul Atreides when I read the book the first time. And I read that book nearly religiously for the next uh, probably 10 years. I read every year I read that book. I read it multiple times the first year. So I've read it over 15 times. Um, and I knew about the movie and I knew the reputation the movie had. So I never watched the movie. You know, I avoided it as much as I could until I was probably in my twenties. And, um, then I just had to watch it. Like the, I, I, I knew, uh, I knew David Lynch's reputation. I, I watched Mulholland drive and I was like, there's no way a guy that made this movie did also <laughs> any kind of treatment of Dune. I'm really intrigued at what, what ended up happening here. And, um, and then I, I think the, uh, the other thing that really, struck me about this movie was um you know the the actors that are in it uh who were at the some of them at the beginning of their career some of them in in the middle of their career but at the beginning of their career as a you know sci-fi mainstay and uh, you know we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to it but i it's really neat to see them in these roles and where they go from here and how their career kind of unfolds or right. some of them kind of this was the the closing of their career too. So that's, that's another way to look at it. And I think it's, it's really interesting to look at like the ratings of this movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Cause it's got a, a 52%. <laughs> the audience ratings actually, if you look at over the year, those have gone up. Right. I feel like this is one of those movies now where it's, it's cool to say it's actually good. Even right. though objectively it's not, it's not a good movie, yeah. but I, and I, I appreciate the weird, I just think it's funny. Um, I, think, I think that's what the 50, the 50% is like. It's yeah, like right. half the people are like, 
that weirdness is awesome and the other half of the people are like why did i just watch this <laughs> and i'd only seen Eraserhead. that's the only other oh, Dave Lynch movie i'd seen <laughs> so i'd seen that movie and i was like dune strikes me more as like something you give to peter jackson not the guy mm-hmm. who made whatever Eraserhead is <laughs> right <laughs> can't really define what Eraserhead is <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah so i was saying that you know my my um i was telling uh jack before we started here that uh i gave my kids the challenge when i saw that the uh that the new movie was coming out that if they read the book i would take them opening night with me and this is not something we do in my house we don't go to movies opening night so they were all like yeah okay they they were ready to do it my 13 year old picked it up immediately and just tore through the book uh got all the way through it uh loved it and it wasn't until the preview for the movie came out that my daughter, who's 15, wanted to read the book. She she was like, oh, that's a dad book. I don't really want to read it. It's a dad book. And then she saw the preview for the, the new movie that's coming out. And she was like, OK, I can read this. This yeah. looks like something that I'll actually enjoy. <laughs> uh, so, you know, my, my son sat with us uh, since he had, had watched it. He got to sit with us and watch it this time around. And he gave it a good six out of ten. He thought it didn't do a very good job of presenting the story. But for what it was, it was not half bad. And um, I'm going to venture that I think the, the two biggest detractors from this movie were not only the, the weirdness of it, but the fact that in an age of about, you know, 90 minute movies, this clocked in at two hours and 17 minutes and didn't feel anywhere near complete yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, just the p- pacing is one of the worst things about this movie. Yeah. Like you start off and then you have uh, the Princess Ariel and you this really awkward, disjointed equivalent of like the star wars crawl but it's just like here's everything that's going to happen and then they have a part where she like cuts out and she's like oh wait i almost forgot and then she comes back and keeps going right. yeah and i'm like she's a teenager well like like a racer head i mean it's it's a floating head in space i mean if you watch yeah. a lot of his movies uh <laughs> they tend to open yeah. like that or, or contain right. you know some sort of semblance of a floating yeah. head so well, and the, and the, and it was weird because she was in front of the stars and she would like disappear and then come back and then disappear right. and come back. And I was like, there was no rhyme or reason as to why she was like, there wasn't anything back there. I was like, what am I looking for when she's gone? Yeah. And I was timing when, uh, when that was happening. I think we, you get like 15 minutes into the movie of just different scenes of exposition before the story really starts. I remember saying, I think they go to the, I think they go to the beginning of the book now. I, th- I think they go to the beginning of the book. <laughs> right, <laughs> like they did yeah. it three times yeah. before they actually got to the beginning of the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's another, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, bringing up exposition. I mean, that's another thing this movie fails at is that is this, it's too much exposition. And, and mm-hmm. like, I get it. Like, I know the reputation of the book again, being dense and there's just a lot there, but you know, maybe they should have thought about splitting it up like Denny Villeneuve is planning to do, uh, you know, just doing half right. the book for the f- first film. But, um, you know, uh, you know, Lynch wanted the movie to be more over, you know, about three hours. I think his, his cut was like th- a little over three hours. Mm. His assembly cut was like four hours. Um, so even kind yeah, of, I'd be interested to see both of those. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I think that just, that's a recipe for just bad filmmaking is when, you know, obviously when you hear the horror stories of a director not getting creative freedom, you know, in the final cut. Right. You know, it mm-hmm. usually spells the worst. And then um, for a property like Dune with, that was trying to compete with Star Wars or whatever it was trying to do. Obviously it was. I mean, they had a toy line and, right. and you know, they were prepping it to be, you know, that Star Wars type of property. Um 
I think they were just aiming aiming more for the commercial aspect and for, and forgot about the 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 storytelling aspect of it. Right. Yeah. And I think um David Lynch actually disowned this film when it came out. I think the original cut, they actually discredited it to Alan Smithy, which is the name they use if a director does not right. want to be associated <laughs> with a movie. Huh. <laughs> That's right. I did not know that about yeah. it. That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think that with this one too, um, you know, the, the exposition is kind of not important to the story, and that and that's the thing that really kills it, especially in the book. And so, so Andrew, when you go when you go to read the book, uh, you get the exposition through the story of Paul, not necessarily as this monolithic thing that then Paul fits into. So you you, you kind of follow along as he's growing up, and you learn just as he's learning about the world that he's in, you learn about the world that he's in as well. Right. And that's, that's one of the things that I like so much about Dune that other sci-fi novels fail at. And what makes writing sci-fi so hard is that it feels like a real lived in world and you just kind of pick up references Mm -hmm. as you go and you can kind of infer a lot of the time what it's talking about or how in the book, each chapter begins with an excerpt from a fictional book within the universe, which is not something you can do on film. Right. And and that's I think that's why I, your comparison to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy is is a good one, because, you know, Tolkien was very good at that. The world was very lived in. It had right. a long history to it and it built around the characters as you learned more about them. Right. I always say that Dune is to sci fi to fantasy in terms of. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we've touched on it a lot, but I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's really cool about sci-fi is that it has a lot of different genres to it. And, um, you know, because you've got the space operas like Star Wars. And so we just come off of Return of the Jedi and that space opera kind of feel was really big on people's minds. And then you've got other ones like um, I think one of my mm-hmm. other favorites is the sci-fi thriller uh, Event Horizon. That's I really, really like that one. Interesting take on science yep. fiction and how things move. Um, but this movie is like a very unique kind of thing like the only other one that comes even close is um 2001 space odyssey i think to this sort of feel and it really doesn't touch as far as the kind of surrealist bent that right. this one goes into and you know we've talked a little bit about david lynch at this point uh and uh so i don't what do you guys feel about the the like that feeling of the movie like let's, let's talk really specifically about some of the like i don't know the the editorial decisions of like the the way that the <laughs> guild spicers looked and the weird color color effects and things like that how do you feel like all of that went into the movie um well i i feel like visually it's it's really for its time mostly i mean with a few exceptions um obviously with the the special some the special effects and the cgi a lot of it dated a lot of it even for its time not so good looking <laughs> uh, you know looking more like a like some old school Doctor Who, <laughs> you know, type, yeah. type of... Uh, it does feel like yeah, that at times, But yeah. for the most part, I think the costumes and, and the the visuals, uh, you know, Lynch is a master at that. And it's a beautiful film. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it really holds up uh, from that aspect. Um, from a genre point of view, this is more, you know, more heady sci-fi 2001, you know, Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Obviously not achieving the you know the the greatness or the you know the narrative um i guess uh the narrative excellence of that film um but um it was more in that vein than star wars you know it's mm-hmm. it was the the anti star wars film i guess a lot of it's it's kind of has that reputation of being that um 
but obviously not succeeding so much uh box office wise um uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it really, I think it just, it tried to be that in a, in a commercial landscape, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it'll work as an art house movie, you know, like obviously you see mm-hmm. Lynch's, the rest of his career, you know, is more in that vein. And I think after this experience, he just kind of figured that that wasn't for him and he's never done a, like a real studio film since. Um, but, uh, but I think, um, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it was a lofty goal. I mean, they were right. trying to make this movie, I think for 20 years prior to that. And, um, they, they've this ever since the book came out uh, essentially. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I think they just, we have, we, we have to wait till now for Denny Villeneuve to take it for his take and we'll see how that goes, <laughs> <laughs> but no one's tried to tackle it since. So, um, and it's the sci-fi movie, uh, the sci-fi book of all sci-fi books. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, like I said, you can appreciate the visuals and the, some of the campiness and the weirdness, but I think it ultimately fails, you know, at, at, at the type of whatever mashup of a sci-fi genre they're trying to go for. Right. There's, I think I actually read something where they're talking about how their aim was to make Star Wars for grownups. So they were trying to make like a big epic science fiction movie that didn't feel like a kid's film the way the original Star Wars movie did. Um, but a lot of it is just, I really like the set design. I feel like a lot of it feels very closed in though, like especially comparing it to a lot of other big epic movies to me, almost more like something like the 10 commandments or Ben Hur just in the pacing than it does like Star mm-hmm. Wars. And a lot of the sets are very closed in. It's very dark color. So I feel like you don't really get to see the intricate details of the sets. And that might've just been the way the film was color graded, but I did not, I didn't like that aspect and stylistic choices. Like at one point he gives, uh, the Baron Harkonnen gives, uh, Thufra Hiwat a cat and like this weird contraption that it's the cats like being milked and he has to make sure this cat is milked every day or he's going to die with these weird heart plugs that they have implanted in all the slaves of the Harkonnens, which is neither of those things are in the book at all. So you just get all sorts of these weird, bizarre stylistic things that happen. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the thing I think, you know, my, my son mentioned it too. Like when you're watching this movie, uh, the first like 20, 25 minutes of it is, is tracking along. You're like really feeling the book come out. You're kind of feeling the story. There's some minor changes, but it's nothing unforgivable. And then all of a sudden you get to the scene with Harkonnen and you're like, well, that's a little weird. And then he gets up off of his table. And in the book, there's this mention of the fact that he's so enormous that he has to have repulsor lifts to hold up his weight (laughs) just to be able to walk around. And he's like a blimp. And in the movie, the Baron floats yeah. like the Baron just gets up off the ground and starts floating around. And he's <laughs> and, not that fat. He's and, really not that big. <laughs> no, he's not that fat. He's really not that bad. You're right. And you're like watching this. And you're going, what just happened? <laughs> like, like I, I'm not really sure where we just went with this. And it, and it, it yeah, just, it's comical. It, it's almost silly. Like it's almost, uh, it, it's, it's almost too much. Yeah. And that, and that's, and, and you, you either have to like lean into and embrace that at that point and like really go, okay, this movie's telling big, big story with these over the top uh, futuristic things. Right. Or you look at it and you go, this is ridiculous. I can't even take this seriously anymore. <laughs> and I really think that's where that 52% comes from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think that that's where the movie falls down the most for me is everything with the Harkonnens. 
I, I would definitely agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. They're, they're so from that they're to too, where you have... too much, right? Yeah. They're just, they're like one dimensional cartoon villains. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could even make a fair criticism of the book where they almost verge on that in the book a yep. little bit. But the movie, this movie just takes it and goes over the top with it. So I'll be interested to see what they do with the new movie and how they portray those characters. Well, just judging mm-hmm. from like the flashes from the trailer, it just looks so, looks pretty cool. Like what, what they're doing with those characters. Yeah. Yeah. It looks amazing. The yeah. whole thing. And you know, you were talking about the set design too, like the oh, very open, very big, broad uh, landscape of sets is, is interesting in, in the new, in the new take on it too. Right, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, talking about the characters, I think it's important to mention that there were, uh, you know, some really big names involved in this movie. I, you know, uh, you got Sir Patrick Stewart, uh, you, uh, you got uh, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, Sean Young, who had been in Blade Runner just a few years previous, uh, and Sting. Yes, <laughs> yes Sting. <laughs> Mysteriously, but fantastically yeah. in this movie. I think out of all of the... All of the Harkonnens, he played the character of Fedoratha so yeah. so very well. <laughs> um, so you know, I I don't know. I, I I was looking. I had to look it up because I was like, okay, when did Sir Patrick Stewart? Uh, when did the the Next Generation come out? And it wasn't until right. eighty seven. So it was three years after this movie that he kind of hit that sci fi mainstay. Um, at least that that I know of. I don't know of any anything else that he was in other than these yeah. movies. No, he was still, at this point, he was still basically an unknown Shakespearean actor. I know this is his first big movie, but I enjoy the casting in most of of the characters. I think are cast pretty well, like uh, Max von Sydow as Layet. I think that's a good casting choice. Mm -hmm. I do not think that Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck was a good choice at all. (laughs) The way you read him in the book, it talks about him being this big, burly dude with scars on his face. And I think at one point it even mentions how he just looks out of place in a crisp uniform. Mm which is the opposite of Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I think Josh Brolin is actually going to play him in the new movie. And that makes a lot of sense. I was, I was torn on whether it was him or uh, is uh, Jason Momoa doing uh, Duncan yeah. Idaho then? Is that That's his, right. Yeah. Is that his yeah. Which is another good, cool. Good casting choice. Yeah. 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 I like, I mean, the cast obviously is awesome. I mean, like you said, it's uh, Patrick Stewart's first big film and my gosh, he does not age. And, uh, you have, <laughs> and, uh, Kyle McLaughlin, I mean, this was, I mean, obviously David Lynch has used him in, in so many films, obviously blue velvet. And mm-hmm. then, you know, most famously twin peaks, uh, the, the right. TV series. Um, uh, but this was his first, I think role ever. I mean, uh, from what I, from the research I did, I mean, I, they basically just found him in some small theater from some theater production. and. Yeah. uh you know, rolled him into this <laughs> iconic role. Um, and, you know, for, uh, I mean, uh, he's obviously older than Paul is in the book. Uh, so yeah. that, that was, uh, I guess, p- fans of the book were obviously upset about that. And I mean, I think his performance was okay. I think he, 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 he's a better actor and in, in his later stuff. Um, but, but I yeah. love the casting, but, like like for example like sting's character and and even patrick stewart's character it's it's kind of like what what yeah. what are they even doing in the movie i mean like patrick stewart's character right. is like, like he, he he shows up then he's gone and then he's back again and then uh you know sting, sting's character is kind of like the same thing 
uh, I mean, for obviously you guys know the characters more from the book, but for for someone who just watched the movie, it's like, yeah, I don't know what they were trying to, what point they were trying to make with these characters, uh, other than right. some some wacky scenes and you know, uh, you know that, gosh, the 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 scene with Patrick Stewart where the where they're doing that, uh, gosh, what is it called that that when they were fighting uh, the shields, they were yeah. boxy. Um, I'm forgetting the word. The shield, yeah, the shield yeah, fighting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, that is Lynch right there. Like that is, <laughs> it's just so weird visually. So, yeah. And, uh, um, uh, I, I, I like that scene. I know that's, I guess that scene's probably not everyone's favorite, but no, being a fan of Lynch, you can appreciate that scene. But, but yeah, I, I, I gosh, like you can't say enough about the cast and, 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 and I don't know if you mentioned this yet, but Toto doing the soundtrack. Um, oh man, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that was that was one of those things where like I I really wish they had just leaned into that early, right? Because early on you get a feel that it's a movie, it's got this kind of normal soundtrack, and then as soon as the, they start writing the sandworms, the like Toto rock yeah, music right, pops yeah. in, and. I wish they had just done that from the get go. Like, I think it really would have made a very different movie and it would have been more, uh, you know, coherent as a movie if they had just leaned into it all the way. Just let's let's go. Well, I think um, Pink Floyd was when uh, Alessandro Jarodowski was going to do the movie originally. Pink Floyd was going to do the soundtrack. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Which I think in the new trailer for the new movie, they actually have a Pink Floyd song, which is a reference to that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I feel like. If you're going to go with rock music, you just need to go all the way with oh, it. Oh, man. If, have you guys seen the documentary on Yodorowsky's Dune? I have, yeah. It's, I mean, we can do a podcast just on that. That's a, it's, a fa- it's a fascinating oh, yeah. Yeah. fascinating documentary. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to watch it. I haven't yeah, watched it yet. Great. So there, yeah. there we go. All right. Yeah. There, he, I was going to have Floyd yeah, no, do think... the soundtrack and Salvador Dali was going to be in the cast and uh, Orson, yeah, oh, Orson Welles. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's a trip. Oh, I don't want to watch that documentary now. I want that movie. <laughs> you might get it. Might, they're still trying to do it. I think they're trying to do an animated Maybe. version of it, but it's crazy. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, animated Dune would be really interesting. I've, I've heard lots of rumors about that over the years, and I, would, I think that would be really cool. And, and I think, you know, I, if, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Flash Gordon, but that was, you know, Queen uh, did the music for yep. that one. And so there were, there were some other instances of, like, of pop uh, musicians doing uh, – doing the soundtracks uh, America did the soundtrack for the last unicorn, I believe too, which was an animated movie oh, that yeah. came out around the same time. And, um, you know, it's so it wasn't unheard of, but at the same time, I, I think it was just, I think in this movie, they just didn't let them have enough leeway, which again, it kind of ties into that whole, like, you know, what does the studio want? Which is why I think there was so much exposition and, uh, all of the other stuff that didn't feel like it fit the movie that Lynch was trying to make. And so, you know, I I would have loved a Toto track all the way through because by the end you're right. like looking at it, it's like this is almost like a a music uh, music video, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you really do feel like that. And that's that was the comment that was going around my couch as we were watching this movie. Was wow, it feels like a mu- music video all of a sudden. <laughs> a space rock opera. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I think uh, I think that was a uh, it was really interesting, like seeing all the characters. But you know, like like you say, Andrew, it's it's really hard. Mm-hmm. My, my wife made made the comment that it's like she needed a scorecard. You know, she needed yeah. a, a sheet. To keep track of everybody who was in and what they were and and what they were doing and so and my son and i you know having him having just read the book and me knowing the book as well as i did uh we would talk about the character and how they got kind of stilted like the whole scene with um von Sydow's character uh uh kinds when they uh kill him when the harkonnens kill him there's a reason to it there's it's not just like this 
you know, wanton, like, oh, let's just send this old man out into the desert to die. Uh, and there's a reason that they do it the way they do. And then there's a whole scene that follows him and his death. And and it's significant. Like, it's really impactful, not only to uh, the, the reader, but to the story as a whole. And it kind of just gets this, like, you know, one line picture in the movie. I think that's a, one of the biggest problems with the movie, too, is that none of the characters feel really fleshed out. So you don't mm -hmm. really get any of their motivations beyond Paul is the good guy and the Harkonnens are the bad guys. And then right. everyone else is just and, kind of there. And you don't even know that by, I mean, the way the movie goes, like you start to question whether Paul is the good guy at all. Like you're like, kind of like, okay, I mean, he's, uh, <laughs> he, I don't know. I don't know if I'm really rooting for this guy <laughs> by the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, that goes into the other books too, but that's kind of beyond the scope of this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, and that's, and I think that's, th th that was one thing that came through in the movie that I thought was really well done, is that you see this sort of maniacal fall, even as weird as it is, you kind of see the whole, almost like, uh, well, the religious tones of it, that it begins to take. Right. And so, and I, you know, I think it's, it's really hard to talk about Doom without talking about, like, the larger uh, concepts that it's dealing with, which is like, you know, I mean, obviously this is a rich resource primarily held by a somewhat uh, savage people in a desert, uh, you know, in a misunderstood situation. Uh, and it's the word jihad is used very often in the book, whereas uh, in the movies, it's only mentioned once. I was really surprised to kind of catch that, that it only came up like once and in kind of a throwaway scene. Um, but I think it's really important, you know, when you talk about this movie, kind of talk about the the larger concepts of imperialism and the little guy rising up against the uh, against right. the the powers that be and all of that kind of stuff. And so I, I thought, how do you guys feel that came across in this movie? You know, I think it did a decent enough job of like introducing those concepts and 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 those analogies. But the the movie, I think, has a hard time. Uh, the movie doesn't really have a clear message by the end of it. You know, it, it you kind of mm -hmm. want, you know, you kind of watch this thing and then it's like, I mean, it's, it's a lot to take in, but you, I mean, at least for me, you know, I came away with it. Right. Like, <laughs> not really sure what I just, <laughs> just watched. I mean, there's a lot right. of, a lot of <laughs> moments, you know, that I can look back to and say we're cool. And, you know, a lot of stuff I didn't like and stuff I did like, and that was awesome. But as far as like, you know, a, a message or, uh, you know, uh, some sort of theme that it wanted to, to kind of send home. Um, it, not really sure. It was kind of confused by it. And, and, you know, I kind of attribute that to obviously the disjointedness, you know, aspects of the film and, mm -hmm. and all that, that we, we already touched on. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe it had a lot to do with like, I know David Lynch wasn't even a fan of the book when he took the job. He had never even read the book. Um, so, Maybe he was just trying to apply. I mean, if you watch any of his films, you, you really don't. You you have that question at the end of almost every David Lynch film. It's like, what the heck did I just watch? And what was he trying to tell me? Right. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this just did it in, in, in a way, I think, that didn't serve uh, serve the property. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I mean, if you were to ask me, you know, how well it did with those kind of concepts, I think it just it, it brought them brought them to the forefront, but never really uh, brought it home. And I think a lot of it, it's, it's hard to pick up on it unless you've read the book and you kind of know this is, this is what mm -hmm. happened in the book. And this is kind of what they're showing on screen, but you don't get all the context 
that you get when the book, like the whole thing where with, uh, with Paul and the prophecy and him being kind of the chosen one for the Fremen, that being kind of a thing that was set up by the Bene Gesserit, you don't really get that in the movie. It's just, it's more just a straight up chosen one hero right. story. Yeah, there's there's so much there's so much exposition and then so much is actually just kind of left out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like it's it's hard to reconcile the two of those things. But but it is I mean, it's a huge book and it's hard to really. And it's funny because it's not a long book. It's not a particularly uh, it's not, I've read much longer books and seen movies made out of them that were just fine. Right. Uh, and but there's there is just so much uh, world building that's done with that kind of, you know, Ernest Hemingway iceberg theory of the 10% of the story that you read is the, the only, only that 10% that's above the water and the rest is just there unstated. And you as the reader kind of pick it up. Right. Uh, and they do that thing. There's a lot of parts in the book where you see the people's thoughts and you get it in the italicized. Here's what they're thinking. There's a lot of that in the book. And they try to do that in the movie with this, these weird whispered voiceovers that always feel out of place. Oh, they're and so they're just, bad. They're, they yeah, come right. in at the weirdest times. <laughs> and a lot of it, because I've been rereading the book in anticipation of the new movie. And a lot of the, the lines of dialogue in the movie are straight from the book, but they just feel Right. so out of place and so awkward and it's like if you're making a movie you need to be showing not telling and but, but there's a lot of those that are really important to kind of moving the story along or to to or to trying to flesh out the characters that it it never really feels like it fully completes that right and then the other thing that that um we were having a problem with especially you know my wife sitting watching it with me she was like are are they reading each other's thoughts right now or is this just like for us like you know is it an aside or is it just them like actually reaching into each other's minds or what and, and and with all of the other stuff that was going on in the movie it was hard to tell it was really genuinely yeah, hard it to doesn't tell come across clearly yeah i'd almost like to see um i don't know if you have seen any terrence malick films oh, yeah. oh i love terrence malick mm -hmm. um but he does an amazing job with conveying emotion in these scenes with no dialogue at all. And I think he's fantastic at that. And this movie is almost the opposite of that, where instead of just relying on the actor's emotions to convey what's going on, like there's a part in the movie where, um, Leto is sitting there and he keeps whispering to himself that they tried to kill my son, which is straight from the book. But in the book, it makes sense because it's in this scene where he's contemplating taking over this planet and everything he has to do. But in the movie, it's just him standing there looking moody with that voiceover going and it right. completely fails to convey any emotion. Yeah. Whereas you could have done that without any dialogue at all and you could have gotten that point across. Yeah, just a lot of yeah, and, and and it comes off as cheesy a lot too. It's it's um you know, and it's not in a good not it's campy, but not in a good way. Like I I remember the scene right. where, you know, <laughs> where 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 Paul sees um uh Sean Young's character and 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 you know the the voiceover the narration in his head is like he said it's like oh from my dreams so beautiful like it was just it, it was so oh, it was yeah. just so like <laughs> so out of place um and uh and cheesy and 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 yeah i agree the, the those those narrations uh were just not really well executed and and from what i understand a lot of them were were put in um during reshoots and and stuff like that when when uh. they were obviously had mm -hmm. to cut down the the movie's uh length um they were just trying to shove in all that that exposition and and stuff uh, into narrations right. and you know that's, that that never works and your voiceover right. went so well for blade runner in 82 <laughs> right that's oh my gosh. <laughs> um <laughs> <started>. uh, <laughs> just, 
just a gen- general rule of general rule of of movie making. If you have to voice over, you did something wrong. <laughs> That's <laughs> just kind of got to got to run with that theory uh, going out. And so you know, I think we, I think we've mentioned a lot of other movies, and this was a really good uh time for uh like cult classics right because you had uh in 82 you had blade runner uh in 83 there we were just finishing up the star wars series with return of the jedi uh the same year this one came out terminator came out and then in 85 back to the future uh you know so like all compressed into this beginning of the 80s uh series was um all of these amazing science fiction movies that have become you know just pillars of movie like uh, you, you meet people that were born in the 2000s that have they know what right. back to the future is they've seen back to the future but it's not because it like mm-hmm. uh you know it, it's not because they remade the movie or they've made a sequel with a, as they de- have done with a lot of this stuff it's just because they've seen the movie because it's that good uh and this one didn't quite like live up to that status although like you say it's getting kind of a a re- revival now it, it's still <laughs> It's fifty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's mm. never kind of gotten the same. Yeah, like, you know, like you talk to people about it, and if people have seen it, they're like, "Oh, that movie, <laughs> right?" <laughs> so, what, what do you think? I mean, it, oh, listen, I really feel like this movie. It almost feels like a movie that came out before all those movies. Like just the feel of it. This feels like something from like nineteen seventy three, not nineteen eighty three. Like it feels like a poorly done, like almost like a biblical epic. Like I would compare this more to Ben-Hur or 10 commandments or something Mm -hmm. like that, just in Mm -hmm. the feel of it. Like it does not feel like a modern science fiction blockbuster film. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's just, I mean, those movies that you mentioned that are, you know, favorites, uh, they're they're good movies this is not a good movie <laughs> let's yeah right. you know uh, <laughs> let's not fool ourselves but um i think also what has to do with uh, all those other movies are action-packed and there is not a lot of action in this in mm. this movie and and from what i understand of the book that's also not the point of the book there's not a lot of action in the book so right. um that probably has a lot to do with it i mean to like 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 Again, I compare it to 2001 uh, Space Odyssey um, because it's it's more that heady, dialogue-driven, uh, weird sort of uh, surreal sci-fi. Um, and it mm-hmm. obviously doesn't – it's not as good as 2001, but that's that's what it's more akin to um, than, than those other movies that are all popcorn, you know, blockbuster, box office, you know, mega hits. Um, that that really are right you know ple- you know all about the pleasure of the viewing audience and 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 not trying to they're they're not so dense and they're not so uh heady um so yeah i think i think that i mean all, all those things together are just why it kind of it's more of the like you said the cults it kind of has a cult status now but it never really reached the the heights of those films yeah and i, I think that um I think too. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of it's the story that it's trying to that it was trying to tell, and it it it's interesting because it it has action, but like the action is that Toto music video at the <laughs> yeah. at the end of the movie, right? And uh, slowly riding the sandworm, exactly. <laughs> and um, and it's like, and that's it. That's and then and it's and it's quick, and it, and then it's done, and you're like, oh, that that was it. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but but it's it's interesting, too, because, you know, you see, I, I see there are a lot of scenes in this one where the, the ships land and all the all the soldiers get off of them. 
and you get a real feel for like the the Clone Wars, Star Wars kind of stuff where they've you know got these huge ships and all of the soldiers are coming off in the thousands to to land on this planet and subdue it and um you know so it it, it is it's trying to tell that story but it does lack that action you're right I think that's really probably the thing that hurt it the most and it didn't really do as good a job like you said as 2001 of of really driving that story home and making you feel a part of it because it was just so compressed and disjointed and hard to follow at a lot of times it tries to ride the line too much between being a mainstream popcorn movie and then being a weird art house film like if it had gone in either direction it would have been better but it it tries to ride the middle and it really doesn't stick it yeah, I think they really should have just let Toto lose at the beginning and just gone with it. Man, just, yeah, if you had, yeah. the, if you had those just, guitars blaring from the beginning, then we would have known what we were getting into. Go big or yeah. go home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, were, there wouldn't have been any confusion when the Baron Harkonnen started floating. It would have been like, yep, that's that's exactly what should be happening right now. <laughs> they really missed an opportunity when I see the rains down in Arrakis at the end when it starts raining. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, it would have been uh, that would have been something else. <laughs> uh, so, is there anything else that you guys uh, thought of while watching this movie that you wanted to bring up? I like miniatures and I like matte paintings, and I feel like we've lost that in movies nowadays. So, I enjoy that aspect of it. I'd say that's definitely mm-hmm. my favorite part. Yeah, I mean, I I think the what if 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 David Lynch would have taken Return of the the Return of the Jedi job over this, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe. I mean, I don't know, maybe it would have been better for him to work with George Lucas than the the, the De Laurentiis family. Is that, yeah. is that their names? Yeah. I, yeah, I think this um, one was. Because they, they sort of had a reputation of being hard to work with. And then after this movie, after all the money it lost and the, the kind of the hit it, they took to their reputation, they, they never really did anything as expensive or epic again. But um, but yeah, I just I just think of like, man, I, I, for a filmmaker that I do appreciate a lot, um, Again, not a fan of all of his work, but um, but for a good portion of it, I, I would love to see him try and tackle, uh, you know, another, you know, property or big big budget studio film. But, um, I mean, but I'm happy enough, uh, you know, w- watching the stuff that he does now. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's just funny just seeing all these different actors in this wild cast, uh, you know, during yeah. during a time where a lot of them were were either unknowns or kind of like unique choices um so so yeah still a lot to appreciate all these years later yeah well i think the the main actor the main star that we need to mention is um uh, sir patrick stewart's role (laughs) (laughs) those last few battle scenes because man that was that was crazy (laughs) Uh, yeah so i i think i i think for, for me like i can appreciate this movie more with time I think that's been like my biggest and I part of that is just that I have come to the you know realization in my life that uh, I never expect a movie to be anything like the book. <laughs> I treat them as completely separate things, no matter how good or how close the movie uh, cleaves to the book. I'm treating them as completely separate things because there's always the vision in my head when I read a book is not the vision that's going to come across mm-hmm. on the screen. And the more you can do that, the more you can really enjoy life right? <laughs> in general, I think. Yeah. 
<laughs> but specifically, the more you can start to enjoy a movie. And, uh, you know, I love I love talking with you guys about this, especially with, uh, you know, Andrew, with your knowledge about the, the movie industry and uh, what you bring to it. Uh, that's it's a really good addition to to thinking about this movie, because you have to kind of dive into that. But why did it happen this way? Uh, and knowing a little bit about David Lynch and some of his other stuff uh, really helps. Right. So. The behind the scenes of this movie is really one of the most fun parts about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just getting a view of like what was going through everybody's head <laughs> while they were making yeah. it. Cool. All right. Well, um, that's it from us. Uh, what did you, the listener, think about David Lynch's Dune, either the first time you saw it or on rewatch? Um, Be sure to email us or comment on our Facebook or Twitter page and let us know. You can email us any feedback by finding StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia. And you can uh, tweet us on Twitter at SQPN. Uh, We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movie and TV. Their generous donations at SQPN.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movie and TV and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. Uh, To find previous episodes of Secrets of Movie and TV shows, please visit sqpn.com slash secrets of movie and TV shows. That's with dashes between all of them. Uh, Next time we'll be talking about the next time this this group of us meets, we'll be talking about the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries. And um, we'll get to the book at some point, but I want to give Andrew some time to read yes, it first. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll, I, we, I, we might not have watched the entire miniseries, but I think you can get a feel for it. And um, so, you know, if you, if you can find it, I think it is on YouTube. So if you're interested in watching before we get to it, um, the Sci Fi Channel miniseries is there. Uh, so we will get to the book, uh, but, you know, that's it. And then we're pushing really to kind of, you know, spread these out over until October of next year when we can then finally do a review of the new movie when it finally does come out with in whatever format that ends up being. So uh, until our next time when we are talking about the miniseries, uh, thank you for joining me, Andrew Hermes. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. And thanks for sharing the secrets of doing with me, Jack Berezini. Spice must flow. It must flow. And once again, I'm uh, Thomas Senhurho. Uh, Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Movie and TV on StarQuest. Quest.